Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Andres Kupets. I'm a legally qualified judge at the Central Division of the Unified Patent Court, uh, Section Munich, and you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 148 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Andras Kupec. He is a UPC judge and of all judges at the Unified Patent Court, the UPC, he has worked on probably the most UPC cases. Why this is the case and what he learned, we are discussing in today's interview. But before we jump into the interview, I have news for you. Nokia and Oppo and a global patent battle. Nokia and Oppo have signed a cross-license agreement. They have ended what was probably the biggest patent dispute over the last three years. In its press release, Nokia states that Oppo will make royalty payments along with catch-up payments to cover the periods of non-payment. EU lawmakers have voted to establish a body for setting royalty rates in standard essential patents at the EU IPO. This project has drawn sharp criticism not only from large patent holders such as Nokia, Ericsson and Siemens, but also from the European Patent Office and the standard setting body Etsy. Also on this podcast, former USPTO director David Kapos criticized this project for solving a non-problem. First of all, so far the EU IPO has absolutely no competence in patent matters. Secondly, there are only a very few cases per year that go to court for royalty rates in standard essential patents and the courts work really nicely. Let us see if the EU IPO will establish this body against the strong recommendation of basically all stakeholders in this game. Now let's jump into the interview with Andras Kupec. Today's interview guest is Andras Kupec. If you don't know who Andras Kupec is, he is a legally qualified judge at the Unified Patent Court and holds an LLM in private law from Amsterdam University and a Master of Science from Utrecht University with focus on molecular biology. He also was an active European patent litigator and was duly qualified as a lawyer and European patent attorney before taking up his duties at the Unified Patent Court. He is based in the Central Division of the Unified Patent Court in Munich and also serves on local divisions, such as the Munich Local Division. Thank you very much for being here. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So just uh, in the very beginning, I say that uh, the following thoughts and uh, statements are your personal opinion and not the official opinion of the Unified Patent Court, of course. Clear. Um, you are one of the busiest judges at the Unified Patent Court. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your first half year at the Unified Patent Court? Well, thanks for the question. Uh, and, and, and indeed, 
the, the first half year has been uh, quite an exciting one. Um, first of all, in the central division, um, I have been uh, the judge rapporteur on uh, uh, our first cases. And the role of judge rapporteur in the Unified Patent Court is quite a time-intensive one, especially in the, the written and interim phases of UPC proceeding, uh, uh, which lead up to the oral phase, uh, where the presiding judge takes over. And as a judge rapporteur, I, for instance, had to decide on preliminary objections in relation to competence and jurisdiction, requests for extension of time limits, um, security for legal costs, confidentiality of documents, and so-called to a Rule 2621B requests for public access to the file. All of this is the job of the judge rapporteur. That is, of course, not to say that this judge rapporteur goes on and, and uh, does everything alone. And uh, uh, here in the Central Division in Munich, we, of course, have a great team, including a very experienced presiding judge and, and colleagues that are always open to, to discuss. So it's really teamwork. Well, that's the work in, in the Central Division. But besides that, um, all uh, uh, judges, legally qualified judges of the UPC, are also part of a pool of judges, as we uh, call it. And from that pool, the judges are assigned to various local divisions um, as a third judge in the local division, um, uh, where uh, they uh, um, also uh, are assigned to, besides the local judges in that in that division and for me personally that has brought me to proceedings in various uh, uh, local divisions dusseldorf where we dealt with an ex parte uh, uh, pi request the munich local division where we did two pi cases and one in vienna and i can only say i was very fortunate to get uh, uh, to work on on these very first cases with such uh, a nice and, and uh, uh, excellent colleagues in, in the first few months. Um, and maybe as a last remark, what also helps is that I'm a full-time UPC judge. I don't have any uh, national obligations or presidium uh, work, so I can dedicate my work fully to, uh, uh, to the UPC casework. Yes, and um, you have a background as a practitioner and now you're a judge. So how did that help you? You know, um, I think indeed I uh, practiced European uh, patent law uh, for a long time uh, before uh, before becoming a judge. And and if anything, I guess my experience helps me to have a feeling and understanding for where parties are coming from. And and th that work has always been uh, uh, international, multidisciplinary teamwork. So in that sense, I guess uh, it's actually a lot like, like my current role. The UPC is quite ambitious when it comes to having speedy proceedings at the moment and also in the rules. Uh, how are you dealing with this in your practice? Yeah, uh, uh, indeed. I mean, it's. I, I think it's quite unusual actually for a court to have uh, in its rules, as you refer to uh, already, uh, an actual uh, uh, time uh, sort of goal. Uh, which we do uh, in our rules of proceedings. It says that in principle, a case has, go to, uh, has to go to, to trial, which is trial in, in UPC uh, uh, is, is typically a one-day oral hearing um, in a year and a decision to follow 
six weeks later. Um, and assuming that we indeed are able to deliver on that, I think you could say that's pretty quick. Um, as to how we do that, um, first of all, uh, the parties uh, uh, have to do a lot because the proceedings are front-loaded. That is clear from the rules of proceedings, which means that pretty much all facts and arguments have to be presented in the beginning of the case. And the rules of procedure, uh, furthermore, contain fixed deadlines for written submission. And looking at the first orders that have come out in relation to requests for time extension, uh, the judges of the UPC take these deadlines in the rules of procedure very seriously. Um, in the remainder of the proceedings, uh, and in particular in the interim phase, um, the judge rapporteur, already referred to, uh, is responsible for active case management. So uh, um, he or she may uh, um, hold an interim conference and uh, uh, make all sorts of orders to make sure that indeed the case is ready for this oral hearing in one year. And then in addition to that, cases may even be accelerated, deadlines may be shortened, and it all depends on the circumstances of the case. And that might be uh, also for us in under special circumstances in the central division, the case. Well, having said that, so yes, we want to be quick, but of course we do not want to be quick at all costs, um, especially the requirements of due process. That is a fundamental right in the European Union, and we also want to give high quality decisions. So I would say, yes, we want to be quick, but if necessary, we will take longer uh, to meet those uh, very important uh, points. In your panels, you are also working with technically qualified judges. Um, what have been your first experiences with working with uh, technically qualified judges? Yeah, so so thank you also uh, for that question, uh, uh, Rolf. Uh, I can only say uh, uh, my uh, uh, my first experiences with technically qualified judges or as, as we also call them, TQJs uh, uh, in the UPC have been uh, uh, have only been positive, and and I um, I, I know that I am not uh, uh, alone in, in in this assessment. I think it is uh, all colleagues uh, I speak to are uh, are, are unanimously positive. Um, reason for that, I think, the UPC was of course designed to be a multinational court, so there are always judges from different uh, um, uh, national backgrounds, but also a multidisciplinary court where you have judges having a technical background and technical experience, TQJs, and, uh, and, and judges having a legal background, the LQJs, legally qualified judges. And don't make the mistake that these uh, technically qualified judges are part of a panel as some sort of technical expert, because they are not. They are judges, and uh, uh, they work and decide on the entire case, including legal aspects of the case. But the opposite, of course, is also true. Legally qualified judges don't see themselves and shouldn't see themselves as just judges who are there for dealing with legal aspects. They themselves also develop a deep understanding of the technology uh, and, and, and all of the aspects of the case. In my view, it is really this exchange of views and the exchange of thoughts 
from these different multidisciplinary, multinational perspectives, which really adds value and makes UPC so, so unique. Well, here in the Central Division, we are lucky enough to, by definition on our panel, have a technically qualified judge. So the TQJ is always there with us, um, two legally qualified judges and one legal, uh, technically qualified judge. In the local division, technically qualified judges are added to the panel if there is a counterclaim for invalidity or if the court or a party requests the allocation. Um, and what we've seen in practice is that in most cases, technically qualified judges have been appointed. That was a very interesting thought about the exchange between the legally qualified judges and the technically qualified judges, because you, for example, have a technical background as well. And also other judges at the UPC have technical backgrounds, although they are legally qualified judges, such as Sabine Klepsch. Um, I, do you have any thoughts? I mean, this is uh, interesting. I mean, you say um, you also, as legally qualified judges, think about technical problems and the technical judges think about legal problems. Um, so you are really a team thinking about all the, the whole case, right? No, no, that is exactly what it is, uh, Rolf, absolutely. And, and, and I think um, uh, having, a, uh, having a technical background maybe helps to, to, to be a little bit closer uh, to, 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 to the technical view, but it's definitely not necessary and it is indeed uh, uh, the teamwork, uh, what it's all about. Right. I have a more difficult question now for you. <laughs> so the concepts developed by the EPO boards of appeal, such as the problem solution approach, will uh, they be strictly be followed by the uh, unified patent court or will national developments such as determining the inventive step according to the um, federal court of justice in Germany be followed or other concepts such as uh, the concept of uh, the idea of the invention lying behind the words of the claim from the district court of the Hague. Um, and that sometimes gives a broader protection for the claims than in the literal wording. What are your thoughts on this? Huh. Well, I mean, you, you, you raise a number of very, very interesting points, of course, uh, Rolf. And, 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 and as you also already mentioned, for me at this point in time, it, it's really difficult to, to, to give you an answer on this one, especially since, since all of these issues will have to be decided by panels of the UPC, including panels where I will be a part of, and, and I don't want to um, say jump ahead of that uh, uh, right here and now. But what I can say in general is that the UPC, of course, is not bound by decisions from other national courts steps for the European Court of Justice, of course, but uh, uh, that, that goes without saying, um, or the EPO. Uh, however, uh, like many national courts have been doing for, for years uh, and are still doing, uh, we will, of course, pay due attention and, and take note with interest decisions uh, uh, coming from, from other European courts and decisions coming from the Courts of Appeal of the European Panel Office. And in addition to that, um, we are applying the same substantive law. It's the European Patent Convention. Um, and in the European Patent Convention, there is the law on patentability and on scope of protection. And that is also our law. Um, and if you look at the past, uh, I don't know how many years in, in, in European patent litigation, many concepts have been harmonized by the various national courts. 
and where there has been such harmonization, I, I personally wouldn't expect the UPC to go a, a, a drastic, complete different uh, a, a route of its own. Um, but that said, every case has to be decided on its merits. And in the UPC, of course, we are dealing with civil proceedings. And that means that as a court, we are bound, uh, if you will, to uh, the requests from the parties and what they bring to the table. Um, and that, that will be then the basis of our decision. Um, so I'm sorry, uh, not a very uh, concrete answer here, but uh, um, well, hopefully still. Yes, um, it, I think it is a helpful answer um, because that gives the practitioners uh, the hint to bring everything to the table, also national law, maybe in countries where they are not residing. Sure. Uh, that could be helpful for their clients. So, yeah. yeah. So that was a very interesting thought also, although you could not be, of course, uh, making a judgment now about uh, what law to apply. So let's see uh, how this develops. So um, most cases are currently filed with the German local divisions in German language. Um, is that a trend that will manifest itself? What do you think? Another interesting one uh, there. Uh, I think... First of all, we will keep seeing cases coming in the German local divisions, of course, clear, uh, but also in other local divisions as we go forward with the UBC. Germany traditionally has been an important jurisdiction, important venue for patent disputes, and that we see that reflected in the high numbers of cases that, that have always been filed in Germany and, and are now filed in the local UPC divisions in Germany. Um, maybe in addition to that, in the German local divisions, because Germany is a so-called big jurisdiction, there are always two German local judges, and that may, with the users, at least give a feeling, sort of feeling, knowing what you get feeling. Maybe that, that, that sort of helps uh, uh, um, these divisions. But that said, we are seeing cases in other jurisdictions and have seen from these other divisions, local divisions, um, just to name a few, Milan, uh, Vienna, Paris, Nordic Baltic, Helsinki. We've seen cases all uh, in those jurisdictions and have seen quite significant, important decisions also from the local divisions in those, uh, uh, those local divisions coming out of the UBC. So uh, that, that, that is a note. And if you look at, at the language used, First of all, the use of German. I, I've been told by my German colleagues that that uh, this this use of German in in this first half year might also have been caused by uh, the fact that the German government only at the last moment uh, uh, decided to um, to allow English as an official language in the German local divisions. So users didn't know that just before it started. So many cases might have been prepared already in German. Um, and of course, where there are two German parties are uh, uh, involved in litigating each other, I can understand that then German is the language you choose. Um, however, in international disputes with international parties, um, to me, at least, English seems a, a natural uh, a choice of language. And for the UPC, that will have the advantage that all of our judges are selected to have at least a good command of English. 
and that also means that it that no matter what litigants can then be sure that there are no translations needed of their uh, submissions there will no be no need for interpreters at the hearing and uh, that might be helpful and in addition we've seen um, changes of language uh, actually being ordered by the uh, president of the first uh, uh, court of first instance in a case and also sometimes the language has been changed uh, upon agreement between the parties so that may also steer uh, the language again to back to us in the central division our language is determined by the language of the patent uh, and as most patents are granted in english that means that most of our uh, cases uh, are actually in english maybe just to go back to this choice of, of, of local uh, uh, division, um, of course, the beauty of the UPC is that we are one court. We have a uniform rule book, that is our rules of procedure. So in the end, it, it does not, and it should not really matter where you are. And I think this will only get stronger as the Court of Appeal uh, will render decisions which will uh, ensure a, an, an uniform interpretation and application of our law. Um, and apart from that, the technically qualified judges, legally qualified judges, we already mentioned the pool of judges in the traveling around. So also these judges being, if you will, flown into local divisions will sort of harmonize the approach. So frankly speaking, I don't see a good reason not to file cases at any division uh, of the UPC. Right, of course. <laughs> um, another trend I see is that currently, um, or not trend, but maybe a trend that goes away, um, we talk about this now, um, that currently most cases are still filed with the national patent courts for various reasons, um, so not with the UPC. Um, what do you think are the main reasons uh, from your perspective, and what do you think uh, will the numbers develop over the next years? How do, what do you think? It's it's again an interesting but 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 difficult question, Rolf. I'm I'm uh, first of all I, I I don't really know the numbers uh, um, as they are. I'm 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 I'd say I'm just a judge, uh, so I, I deal with the case. But but clearly we're 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 still now with the UPC in first of all in 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 the transitional regime, first seven years of the court's operation, uh, uh, which means that that. The disputes relating to European patents can still be brought to national courts. So they are, um, it, especially if a patent has been opted out of uh, the jurisdiction of the Unified Patent Court, uh, then that patent may only be litigated in national court, uh, in national courts. And the same obviously goes for national patents, utility models. Those will also remain in, in national courts and, and those will, will remain there also after the expiry of the uh, transitional period. So clearly we're seeing actions uh, uh, also in national courts and that, that will remain. Um, this opt-out, by the way, is not without risks. In a recent decision we've seen coming out of the Helsinki local division, um, an opted-out patent where a national action was pending uh, um, uh, uh, could not be 
uh, opted in, actually the opt-out withdrawn uh, again because uh, the action was pending nationally, even though that action had been started before the UPC's operation. So a word of caution maybe, but the Helsinki uh, division, uh, a decision may be uh, appealed, of course. So that's, that's on transitional regime and, and opt-out. Of course, the UPC is also a new court. So I can imagine that some users might have been waiting to see what the first experiences with the court are and have been and, and what decisions of that court look like. And hopefully in the first orders and, and decisions we've been delivering so that the trust of the users in the system is confirmed. On this court being new, okay, that the court is new, the judges of the court, of course, many of them are familiar faces and all of them have been selected for, for their extensive experience in, in U U European patent law. So uh, it is not like at the UPC, we are constantly reinventing uh, the wheel. Maybe one aspect that is interesting to mention in, in this context is uh, unitary patents, because unitary patents are uh, exclusively litigated at the UPC. And what I understand, but as I said, I'm not uh, necessarily a numbers uh, uh, guy, but uh, I understand that the uh, number of unitary patents being granted is, is really rising. More than 15,000 unitary patents have already been registered, which is about one-sixth of the patents granted by the EPO this year, if my numbers are correct. Um, and all of those will have to be, if they end up in litigation, which of course will be a small percentage, but still, all of those will will be litigated at the UPC. What that then in the end means for the numbers over the next years, I can't tell you. Um, but what I can tell you is that, that as the judges of the court, we'll of course uh, do our best uh, and everything we can to, to deliver high quality decisions in, in a reasonable time frame. Right. Of course. <laughs> Do you have uh, feedback for the users, such as the patent practitioners uh, of the UPC, after the first months of operation? Huh. Well, in terms of uh, feedback, Rolf, I, you know, I, I really don't think uh, I should be uh, the one uh, giving giving feedback uh, to the users. Um, but let me just say that that from my end. Um, what I am experiencing is a very good cooperation uh, with the parties and especially uh, where it comes to dealing with the electronic case management system, the CMS of the court. Uh, everybody knows that that system uh, is a challenge uh, and, and is still very much work in, in progress, but I have seen a lot of flexibility from the parties. I hope that that has been experienced also the other way around a little bit. And I'm, I'm actually very pleased to see where we've gotten um, in this first half year. So thank you very much for your time. It was a really very interesting interview and probably also very valuable for the listeners using the UPC in the future. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for having me here, uh, Rolf. And uh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. 
It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.